Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. This morning's message, your decisions determine your destiny. And here in chapter number 14, this is our 12th message from the book of Revelation. We're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, word by word, where necessary as we go through the book of Revelation. We've now been in this book for months as we began in chapter number 4, and we finished last week with chapter 13. We're in chapter 14 now this morning, and this chapter talks to us about the Lamb. It talks about the beast. It's a chapter of contrast. It talks about earth. It talks about heaven. It talks about the harvest of the doom, and it talks about the harvest of the saved. And the title this morning, Your Decisions Determine Your Destiny. Friends, it's decision time today in your heart right now. And may I say that God made you a living soul. And your soul will be in existence somewhere when the sun and the moon and the stars have grown cold. There was a time uh, when you were not, but there'll never be a time when you will not be. There never will be a time in the future where you will not be. Every one of us, we will have a destiny somewhere. And the decisions that we make with Jesus Christ will determine that destiny. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 30. He that is not with me is against me. There's a lot of people against Jesus today. And I'm thankful I'm looking at hundreds and hundreds of people who are with Jesus. And I would say, the Bible says, And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. You see, we are all, every one of us, we are free to choose. Um, And every one of us, we will choose something. But here's what you're not free. You're not free not to choose. And every one of us will decide what to do with Jesus. Well, this accelerates us into Revelation chapter number 14. And we say, yes, but that's so far in the future. Um, I'm not ready to die. I'm not going to die. I have no plans to die today or tomorrow. I'm healthy. I have no reason to worry about death. The fact is, every one of us will die. And not a one of us knows when we will die. Have you ever considered that people die in all kinds of strange ways? Amelia Lynch, she was walking down the streets of New York City, just walking down the street when a flower pot fell off a ledge from an upper story, eighth floor window ledge, hit her straight in the head, and she died instantaneously. Can you imagine that? Walking down the street, being hit with a flower pot. I read another story about Harold Lee Duncan. Harold Lee Duncan, he was mowing his grass. His children and his wife were watching him, and suddenly he grabbed his side, he fell over, and he was dead before he hit the ground. The mower had picked up a half-inch piece of wire, no bigger than a pencil lead, and it was driven into his heart, killed him instantly. Or in the Philippines, Carlos Umbos, he was fishing. Uh, he opened his mouth to yawn, and as it just so happened to be, and we may even laugh about it, a fish jumped out of the water and landed perfectly in his mouth. They tried to get the fish out, but he choked to death and he died. 
from a freak accident. The fact of the matter is, James said that for what is your life? It's a vapor. It appeared for a little time, and then it vanisheth away. I said that people die in many ways, and people die in strange ways, but in reality, there's only two ways to die, and we see that in Revelation. We'll look at just our text verse, Revelation chapter 14, verse number 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Write, Blessed are the dead which die in the Lord. From henceforth, yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. Father, in the time we have today, may I do honor to your word. May we be careful listeners. Oh, we could have so many distracting thoughts today. We're worried about where we're going to eat lunch. We're worried about a doctor's appointment this week. We're worried about a loved one. We're concerned about a financial need. But Father, could we just, with your Holy Spirit, help us to set aside those distracting thoughts and to give careful attention to the Word of God this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord has stirred up my heart in this respect. I believe and knew before today ever came because the Lord impressed upon me that there are going to be people today here that do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Whether it's someone who regularly attends our church, maybe someone who even went through membership class and they became a member of our church but still had doubts about their salvation, or perhaps someone who's visiting this morning, there's someone here who is watching by live stream who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. You see, when you die, either you are going to die, in what verse number 13 says, in the Lord, or you're going to die out of the Lord. I wonder this morning, are you in the Lord? If you died today, would you die in the Lord? Or would you die out of the Lord? If you die in the Lord, obviously God says this in verse number 13, blessed are the dead which die, and there's those three words, in the the Lord. Are you in the Lord this morning? If you are not in the Lord, I I beg you to listen to this message. But if you are in the Lord, I ask you to listen as well because all of us have family and friends and loved ones and co-workers that are out of the Lord. Inversely, what a curse, what a sorrow, what a tragedy for someone to decide to die without Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, where would you B. Another question, if you uh, were to die today, where are you headed? Where will it be? Consider these words from a poem. Five minutes after I die. Loved ones will weep o'er my silent face. Dear ones will clasp me in sad embrace. Shadows and darkness will fill the place. Faces that sorrow I will not see. Voices that murmur will not reach me. But where, oh where, will my spirit be? Here I have feasted, worked, and ranged. Here I have flourished and grown estranged. There and then it will all be changed. Not to repair the good I lack, fixed to the goal of my chosen track. No room to repent, no turning back. Now I can stifle conviction stirred. Now I can silence the voice oft heard. Then fulfillment of God's sure word. Made it for I with my chosen throng, long as eternity, endlessly long. Then woe to me if my soul was wrong. Oh, what a fool, what a fool, but true, refusing the Savior with hell in view, doing a thing I can never undo. If I am flinging a fortune away, if I am wasting salvation's day, just as my sentence, my soul shall say, 
five minutes after I die. Folks, life is short, and you will spend eternity somewhere forever. Five minutes after you die, it'll probably be faster than that, but five minutes you'll have all the realization you need to know that I was in the Lord or I was out of the Lord. There are three things that I'd like for us to look at in our time together this morning from Revelation chapter number 14. Three three decisions that are revealed here in Revelation chapter number 14. Decision point number one, I call it this. Character is required to follow the Lamb. Character is required to follow the Lamb. And of course, when we talk about the Lamb, we're talking about Jesus Christ. We're going to meet here in chapter 14, 144,000 people of all the tribes of Israel. Now listen, this isn't symbolic. Literally, after the rapture takes place, there's going to be 144,000 Jews who are left behind to evangelize this world. Most of us, we're Gentiles. If we know Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior, at the moment that Jesus comes back, we are taken out of this world. Hallelujah, that we can have that confidence. Listen quickly here as we look at the first few verses of Revelation chapter 14. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with the woman, for they are virgins. They are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. This is future. This is going to happen after the rapture. This is going to happen after uh, we enter into that great tribulation period. We've spent literally months going through and, uh, uh, and opening the seals and the trumpet judgments. And we've uh, looked at the beast and the antichrist. And we've looked at the devil and we've looked at Satan. We come now to something that sounds strange. If you do not study the word of God, it may sound a little different. 144,000 people will literally walk on this earth. Who are they? The Bible says they follow the Lamb. The Bible says that they are special. The Bible says they've been set aside to serve, and they demonstrate great character. In Revelation 7 and verse number 15, God calls them servants. Therefore are they before the throne of God. They serve Him day and night in His temple, and He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. I want you to see some Things about their character. I want you to see how they are described. How that we can know who this 144,000 people are. How they will relate to what happens on planet earth. There are at least six qualities about the 144,000. The first quality or character that I'd like for you to see is that they are sealed for their protection. That they are sealed in their protection. In verse number 1, we read that they are sealed. They have the Father's name in their forehead. Uh, They have been asked and uh, they've been saved as a result of asking for that forgiveness of sin. And the Bible says they've been sealed. Now, a seal in symbolism stands for protection. It stands for possession. It stands for preservation. They are sealed by the Lord. Here's what we can take from that. Nothing will happen to them apart from God's will. 
They are sealed. Well, you say, Pastor Armstrong, that would sure be wonderful if I could be sealed in that way. I'm so glad that you had that great thought. For the Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 13, speaking of those who live in this dispensation of time, in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Friend, whether you're a tribulation saint or whether you're a saint in this age, thank God this morning we've been saved and sealed. And you know, the Bible says that there will be 144,000 on Mount Zion. You see, uh, I'm thankful the Bible is very clear. It did not say that there's going to be 143,999. You see, not a single one of them is lost. They have been saved by the precious blood of Christ. They have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And what God has sealed, the kings, no matter how hard they they try to break that seal, they cannot break that seal. Um, I want to encourage you today, that if you've been saved, you've been sealed. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. The Holy Spirit convicts and comforts. The Holy Spirit guides and protects. I just want you to know that just like those 144,000 that are sealed, you are also sealed this day. There's a second characteristic I'd like to share, a character quality about this 144,000, that is is that they are singular in their praise. They are singular in their praise. They have a very special praise. We read about this in verse number 2 and 3. The four beasts are the creatures that represent the attributes of God. The elders represent the saved of all the ages. And this 144,000 is a special group apart from these. And no man could learn that song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. These 144,000 Jews, uh, they have a very special song that they sing. And by the way, why should they not sing? They're in the presence of the Lamb. Uh, I think that, now I know we have some older folks here. So when you're older than 58, then you're getting older, okay? And so, um, some of you caught that, okay? So, but here's what I notice, and I'm being, I'm being sincere about this. Here's what I notice. The older you get, the crustier you get in your singing. You're content to listen to someone else sing. And, and we leave it to the younger people to sing. My friend, don't be deceived. When you go to heaven, you're going to sing. The Bible says that all of us are going to sing. I love how children sing. The other night, we had the opportunity this past week to babysit three of our grandchildren as uh, Pastor Jonathan and Janessa, they went away on some personal time uh, away, and, and so we had, we had a great time, and, and so she, it was uh, uh, late at night. We'd already put it to three children. Well, late at night for Shelly, babysitting three children all day was about 8.15. Um, uh, Shelly, she went to the shower. She was showering, and, and uh, the children were in bed, and, and Raylan, our, uh, the oldest of there are three she comes into the bedroom and and she says papa she says i'm sick i can't go to sleep okay what is what am i supposed to say here okay i i said go back and i said go back to bed and you can just sing sing as loud as you want to sing she's okay so she went back and she crawled into bed and she's just singing singing Shelly gets out of the shower and says why is Raylan singing and i just said don't ask 
And, uh, and finally she fell asleep singing, so it was awesome. But, uh, but children love to sing, and we, the older we get, the less we like to sing. Well, I tell you, the 144,000, they're adults, and they sing. They were singular in their praise. They understood. The Bible even uses it. You mark in your Bibles, it even uses this terminology. There's a new song. Now, there are two words for new. Uh, one word for new is new in time, or the other one means new in character. This word that's used here means new in character. This is a song that none of us can sing. It's a special song. Only this 144,000 who have been sealed in, the, in their production, they are singular in their praise as they have a special song to sing. A third character quality is that they are separated in their purity. A third characteristic, they are separated in their purity. Back in verse number four, we read that they are called virgins. Now, what does that mean? They're, they're, not, they're not defiled. Um, this is not against getting married. Uh, uh, he's talking here. This is, a, this is symbolic uh, of, of something that goes with Jewish culture. Uh, these are people who are spiritually undefiled. Remember that Satan's false church is called a harlot. We're going to find later on in the book of Revelation, a, um, a, 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 as we get to it in the, in the coming weeks, we're going to call, uh, a, be introduced to what's called a scarlet woman who represents a false religion. And so these people who have not defiled themselves by the world are declared a virgin spiritually. I think you can understand if we were just to fast forward to uh, verse number 8. And there followed another angel saying, Babylon has fallen. Uh, that great city because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. John here is writing about spiritual fornication. These people are spiritual. They are virgins. They are true to the Lamb. They are true to the Lord Jesus Christ. They have not defiled themselves spiritually. This is the reason that James could write, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that, ye, that, that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He calls them spiritual adulterers. Consider 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 2. Paul, he said this, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused to you one husband that I may present to you a chaste virgin to Christ. That is the kind of language that we're using here. Question, are you spiritually pure this morning? Do you have an undefiled love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is he occasionally the object of your affection or always the object of your affection? There's a fourth characteristic of I see uh, the 144,000. They are steadfast in their purpose. They are steadfast in their purpose. In verse number four, they are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. They are marked by loyalty to the Lamb. There's no rival. There's no refusal. There is no restraint. Do you have loyalty to Jesus Christ this morning? The 144,000 in the tribulation in the greatest, hardest time period that this world has ever known. They will be loyal to Jesus Christ. Number five, they are symbolic in their prophecy. They are symbolic in their prophecy. It says, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb, back in verse number four. Now, in Israel, there was a feast during the harvest called uh, the Feast of First Fruits. And they would take the, the first ripening grain and they would bring it to the temple and they would have this ceremonial feast. And that is because first fruits typify the harvest that is to come. 
these 144,000, they are going to be 144,000 Apostle Pauls. And they're going to be preaching the gospel around the world. And Revelation 7 and verse 9 tells us that there are millions who are going to be saved during the great tribulation. In verse number 9, After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne. Folks, there's going to be a lot of people saved during the tribulation. The Bible says they're protected and they are sealed. They follow the Lamb wherever He goes. They are spiritually pure and they're going to have a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And millions of people will be saved. Now, there's some teenagers, young adults, maybe some older adults who have been putting off a relationship with Jesus Christ. You say, that's it, Pastor Armstrong, you just messed up. Then I'm going to wait And I'm going to wait until the rapture takes place, and then I'll get saved. That will be my cue that what you're saying is real. May I just say, no, you won't. You will believe the lie of the Antichrist, and I've spent a time talking about that before, and I'll talk about that more in the coming weeks as we get to chapters 18 and 19. But I can find not one shred of hope For anybody in all of the Bible who has willingly, knowingly, deliberately refused Jesus Christ as his or her personal Savior being saved in the Great Tribulation. However, if you go through the rapture, it takes place, we're, we're out of here, and you're left behind, you will believe a lie because there's going to be a delusion. There's going to be an answer given for all of those who are raptured. My friend, you will not get saved during the tribulation because you've heard about Jesus Christ. Finally, they are sincere in their profession. They are sincere in their profession. Verse number 5, And in their mouth was found no guile, and they are without fruit before the throne of God. What does it mean, no guile? Uh, Guile is hypocrisy. Uh, These are people who know the truth, believe the truth, tell the truth, speak the truth, and live the truth. And they'll be... Not mouthing during the great tribulation the slogans of the beast. May I also say your words are either going to condemn you or they're going to justify you. Folks, uh, let's learn lessons about these 144,000. There's a second great decision that we see here in chapter number 14. That is this. Corruption is required to follow the beast. Corruption is required to follow the beast. In the great tribulation, you're either going to be led by the lamb or you're going to be bullied by the beast. The beast is the antithesis of the lamb. The lamb is Christ. The beast is the antichrist. Uh, He is Satan's superman who's going to come on to the world stage. In fact, I believe he is alive today. I have to believe that, and you have to believe that. You know why you have to believe that? Because we said that Jesus can come back at any moment. And if we believe that Jesus can come back at any moment, then we have to believe that this person's alive today. And when the church is raptured and taken out, uh, that beast is going to appear on the scene. And we've described the the word beast uh, uh, over the past several months. We've described who this person is. Um, He's going to manage the world. Let's quickly look at verse 6, 7, and 8. And I saw another angel. Fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach it to them that dwell on the earth and to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God 
Give him glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she hath made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. There is an angel who flies in the midst of the heavens, and he preaches the everlasting gospel. Now, in today's dispensation, we know this. Angels do not preach the gospel. In today's dispensation of time, the gospel is preached by me and by you and, and by others who have followed Jesus Christ. But in the great tribulation, God in mercy, he gives one last final call to the Gentile. And the angel is going to be preaching the gospel. And some people say, well, this has got to be some type of different gospel. I can prove to you from the Bible it's not a different gospel, for the Bible says this in Galatians chapter number 1. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So I know there's only one gospel, and the only gospel is the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And may I say unto every mother's child in this building, if you're saved, you've been saved by the grace of God, or you haven't been saved. In Ephesians 2, familiar passage of Scripture, the Bible just says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. This angel ceases his message, and another angel begins to speak. And he says, there's another angel saying, Babylon is fallen. Now, this is where we love to know, what in the world is John talking about? Um, maybe I could be a help to you today. This is the first time this is mentioned in the book of Revelation. Only we're going to find Babylon's talked about in chapter 17 and 18. And there's going to be a great emphasis in the future messages on this place called Babylon. Now, what is Babylon? Babylon is the, the cradle. It's the, the grave of all idolatry and all things false worship. Back in Genesis chapter number 10, there was a man by the name of Nimrod. And that very name Nimrod means rebel. He built, a he built a city, and he built a tower called Babel. And he was going to build a tower, a, a, a city-state, if you will, whose tower would reach into the heavens, and, and, and that he could reach up to where God was. And he was going to gather for himself a one-world government and a, and a one-world religion. That was the cradle of Babylon. Babylon is the, the fountainhead of all false religion, and therefore it's really the quintessential symbol of, of all evil and all sin. It's the kingdom over which the beast will rule. You see, there's Jerusalem, the holy city, and there's Babylon, the hellish city. You have the lamb. You have the beast. You have the Christ. You have the Antichrist, you have the church, the bride, and you also have the false church or the harlot. And all of these are the antithesis. Remember this, we've established this fact over the past several weeks. Satan wants to be just like God. And he's going to do everything in his power to create what God has going for him. But now the angel says, Babylon has fallen. Here's an interesting piece of history. The early Christians in the first century, and we can find that in the New Testament over in 1 Peter chapter 5, they began to call Rome Babylon. And they said Rome symbolizes, epitomizes Babylon. And it may be that the Antichrist is going to rule from Rome, but no pastor, no prophet, no person who studies knows that for sure. It just may be. 
but we have certainly learned that Babylon is going to be a place where the Antichrist is going to rule from. Finally, this morning, I'd like for you to see decision point number three. And that is that consequences are required which determine your destiny. Consequences are required which determine your destiny. Uh, remember, I told you from the outside of this message that your decisions determine your destiny. Think of those who have been branded by the beast. We know, we looked at it a week ago, the number 666, it's very real. It's going to happen. Technology already exists for that to take place today. We know that that's going to happen. But look with me very quickly. And back in Revelation chapter 14, and the third angel followed them. So now we have a, a, a third different angel addressing. If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day nor night, who worship the beast in his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Folks, if you mark in your Bible, I would put a star beside 9, 10, and 11. If you're taking notes, I would say read this verse, these three verses again. I'm not joking. I'm asking you sometime this week to read Revelation 14, verse 9, 10, and 11 again and allow this to stir something up in your soul. If you haven't been paying attention, you've been distracted this morning, please listen as I wrap up this message with this third thought about consequences. Now, this passage of Scripture that we just read talks about what we referred to last week as the mark of the beast. We know the mark of the beast is what? Six, six, six. We know that that's going to be something that's implanted into the hand or into the forehead. We know that that's going to be the only way that someone will be able to buy or sell is by what is implanted into the hand or the forehead. The Bible says that. Now we're one chapter later, and now we're talking about people who have taken the mark of the beast. And I said in previous message, the Antichrist is going to be the minister of propaganda who's going to cause everybody to receive the mark in his hand or his forehead. And if they do not, they will not be able to buy and sell anything. If you do take the mark of the beast, you have committed an unpardonable sin. If you do take the mark of the beast, you have committed an unpardonable sin. There will be no hope for anyone who takes the mark of the beast. For if you receive his mark, the Bible says you will be forever damned. And if you uh, do not receive his mark, you will then be persecuted by the beast and you will ultimately be put to death. My friend, you do not want to live through the tribulation. You say, listen, I got it all figured out. I know the Bible. You've already warned me, Pastor Armstrong. I can do this. Even if I have to take the mark of the beast, I know that at the last moment, I'll believe on Jesus. You're foolish. To even think such a thought. You do not want to be here during the Great Tribulation. You have choices. The Bible is gives us an insight. How do I understand the culture and context of this passage of Scripture? In ancient times, many times, capital punishment was causing a person to drink a cup of poison. 
And so that's what's going to happen right here for those who follow the beast. They're going to receive this punishment from Almighty God, and, 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 the, and they, their destiny is assured. But I want you to notice something in verse 10, and I'll wrap up my message. Verse number 10. There's something that we don't want to hear about anymore. And this, you say, oh, I'm saved. I don't need this message. Oh, yes, you do. And here's why. is that we all know people who will die without Christ. In verse number 10, the Bible says this. There is an eternal hell, a place of fire and brimstone. Did you know that if you wanted to ridicule, ridicule a preacher today, you would say, well, he's just one of those fire and brimstone preachers as if that's an insult. It comes from this verse. There used to be a time that there was much more preaching on the topic of hell because we feared people going there. Now, it's just a good curse word. Somebody says, well, Brent, hell is just symbolic anyway. For your sake, if that's your thinking, I hope that it is symbolic. However, there's a problem with that. The Bible describes hell in very graphic details. Um, you say, well, Brent, if I do go there, I won't be there very long. Oh, I ask you to go back to Revelation chapter 14 and then look at verse number 11. One of those verses I ask you to, to, to uh, start. And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up. What's that next phrase? Forever and ever. Now that doesn't sound like to me that there is going to be a time when you can get out of hell. In fact, they have no rest, day nor night. And all of these are the people who have worshipped the beast and they've taken the mark of the beast. Friend, there is no hope once you go to hell. Now I want to remind you that the Lord Jesus Christ had to say more about hell than he did about heaven, and he spoke more about hell than even the other prophets who lived here, or preachers, or disciples, or apostles who lived here on earth. Jesus was concerned about people going to hell, a hell that was prepared for the devil and his angels. I share one final verse with you found in Mark chapter 9 and verse number 43. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands and go into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Jesus said it better than I could. It's better to be crippled saint than it is to be a healthy sinner on your way to hell. You know, there are people who are listening to my voice this morning, and you're trusting in something other than my faith in Jesus Christ. There are people who are listening to my voice this morning and says, you don't understand, I've given a lot of money to good causes. There's people here saying, you don't understand, I, I was baptized. There are people here today who says, yeah, I have rosary beads. There are people here today that have this thinking. If God would send someone to hell, then I don't want anything to do with God. My friend, God does not send anyone to hell. It's a result of the decisions you make. You decide what you do with Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, what will you do with Jesus Christ? For just a moment, would you bow your heads in prayer? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Christians, this would be a great time for you to pray for those who do not know the Lord Jesus. And you're here today and you're struggling in this area called salvation, being born again trusting Jesus, whatever terminology you want to use. But here's the thing I do want you to recognize. That is, if you die without Christ, 
you will go to this place called hell. It's pretty graphic here in Revelation chapter 14 that it's forever. It's a place that was reserved for the devil and his angels, not humankind. And you do not have to go there. That's the great thing, my friend. You do not have to go there. If by faith you will believe in Jesus Christ, you do not have to go to a place called hell. Pastor Armstrong, how do I avoid hell? You just need to pray, asking God to save you. You could pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I need to be saved. I want to be saved. I, I believe in you. I trust Jesus Christ. Come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Save me. There's no magic words. It's by faith, believing that Jesus Christ is who he says he was. That he gave us the life. 